Welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. All right, we are going through the Psalms this summer and uh, preaching through that as well as reading them each day. And, and so this Sunday, this morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm 82. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me over there as we read this wonderful psalm about justice. Psalm 82. It says this, God presides in the great assembly and he gives justice among the gods. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked, he says. Defend the cause of the weak and fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy and deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They know nothing and understand nothing. They walk about in darkness and all the foundations of the earth being shaken. I said that you are gods. You are all sons of Most High. But you will die like mere men and you will fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God. Judge the earth, for all the nations are your inheritance. For all the U2 fans out there, this psalm is the favorite of lead singer Bono. Um, I like U2, and I'm not surprised this psalm is one of his favorites, for it is the theme of it is justice. This psalm is written by Asaph who was a worship leader in the temple during the time of David and Solomon. He is credited with writing Psalms 73 to 83. And during his time in the temple, Asaph saw the best and the worst of religious and political leaders. There was lots of corruption amongst the rich and the powerful. And so his psalms are mostly prayers on the theme of justice for the poor and the oppressed and God presiding over the great high court. Because of this psalm, I found myself thinking about justice this week and God as the supreme judge. For that is who Asaph is appealing to here and is one of the titles given to God in Scripture that of judge, the righteous judge over all of the earth, and ultimately the judge of my life. One day I will stand, and we all will stand before him. And so I thought about my experience for a minute. I thought about my experience with judges, you know, and what I think of when I think of a judge. I ask you, uh, have you ever been in court? You don't have to answer that. But do you have any experience with judges? More than watching Judge Judy, have you ever stood before a judge yourself or watched somebody else getting judged? I have been to court a few different times, never for myself, but I went to stand next to a mom defending her life. It was powerful. She was trying to keep her kids after the province Alberta had taken them away because of a few poor judgments on her part. She had spent months trying to get her kids back. And I knew her well. She was a great mom. She really did love her kids, and they wanted to be with her. And I was happy to stand next to her as a character witness and say these charges are not the full story and not accurate to who she is. But standing next to her in that courtroom, I realized that she was at the mercy of the court. 
the judge presiding over her case had the power to give her her children or take them away. What a huge power entrusted to that person. What a great responsibility. I was in a court here in Nebraska two different times uh, to witness a judge make legal the adoptions of both the children of Greg and Cassidy and Aaron and Aaron. That too was a great power entrusted to that judge to award children to another. But what a beautiful day that one was. I was in court another time with Craig Schneider, who was sheriff in Lancaster. And so I, I went there and sat with him in the courtroom downtown for a morning because I wanted to see what it was like to witness what happens each day in Lincoln as people who have committed crimes are brought in to stand before the judge and plead their case and then taken out to serve their sentence. It was a moving experience for me, humbling and sobering. I left thinking what a big job it is to be a judge, to try and discern and administer justice and so coming back to our psalm for today, it's really about two things. First, that God is the ultimate judge over my life and our world. He presides over the great high court. And then second, this psalm is about those who are in positions of power like this, the earthly judges and rulers, and it is a call for them to practice good justice, godly justice, to do what they have been called to do, to defend those who need defending, and to maintain the rights of those who are being taken advantage of, and to rescue those who are under the hand of the wicked, to not show partiality. And so this psalm forced me to think about and to pray about justice in our world today and how that is going, and to imagine God as judge and how those in positions of power answer to him and how lawmakers answer to him and how they need to make sure they are carrying out godly justice, acting as he would. But before I get into that, I just want to speak first about God as judge for a minute. I realized this week that all our judgments are tainted by our sinful flesh. There is no perfect judge uh, out there on earth. We all have our own versions of right and wrong. We all want to justify our life and choice and behaviors and feel those are the best. We are all extra critical on certain people while overly loose on other people. But God is the only perfect judge. He has no sin. He knows the truth. He sees the heart and what is done in secret. He never gets it wrong. He is always right when he judges. And it is his law that he judges us next to. And his law is perfect. In the Bible, we see God carry out judgment in the moment on nations or people like Pharaoh or Israel when they would build an idol. We see his judgment come down almost immediately upon them or discipline. In Israel's case, God's judgment is always followed up with another chance for them. 
it's always interesting to me to read the Old Testament prophets where they can be real harsh, you know, God's judgment is going to come down because you've done this. But then there's always those chapters that say, but then afterwards turn back to him and he will restore you. There's always hope if the people repent and turn back. But God's judgments, they come either to correct his chosen people or to save those who are being oppressed like Israel was in Egypt. But mostly those judgments come in the moment. But we also read in the Bible that one day God will judge all of the earth and we'll all have to stand before God and give an account of our lives, that future day, that judgment day. And that has always scared me to think about. I don't think that anyone likes to be judged. For me, I think of my own life. I know I am guilty of sin. And I know that he knows it. And so to think of my life standing before Almighty God and to give an account for all that I did or did not know, do, I mean, to know my eternity then rests in his verdict, in his hands, it's a little nerve-wracking. I mean, what? hope do I have there? Only Jesus. That's the point, which is something we need to see in scriptures here about God and, and the judge. This, this remarkable truth that his mercy, the Bible says, triumphs over judgment. And we see this as the story of the Bible. God's people in the Old Testament continually break his commands. God punishes them, disciplines them, but continues to be faithful to them long beyond when he was required to. He continues to love them and want the best for them. Mercy. And then we get to the New Testament and we see it now come in the gift of Jesus Christ. We see the same truth for all of us now. How just like Israel, we all break his commands. I have broken his commands. I have sinned against God. He is the lawgiver and I am the lawbreaker, which means I should be condemned. And yet his banner over me is love. John 3.16, God so loved the world he sent his son, and whoever believes in him will no longer perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, it says, but to save the world through him. So we see this incredible truth that God is the judge of my life, but he's also the savior of my life. For the Bible says, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It says that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That means the sentence uh, uh, for sin is death, eternal separation from God. That's what the Bible says. But our faith is in what the Word says, that what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by our sinful nature, God did by sending his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So reading the Bible, we find this amazing truth about God, the judge. That the one 
who has to honestly pronounce us guilty because that is what we are, is the same one who steps down from the throne in heaven and takes on our flesh, takes our sin upon his shoulders, and carries out our sentence himself. He picks up our cross. Our God is the very one who pays the price for the sentence that he had to issue. His mercy triumphs over judgment. This is our faith. This is the gospel. The righteous judge is also the sacrificial savior. He never ignores my sins. He takes them upon himself. So it's very important for us that we never downplay sin or the just judgment of God upon it. Because only in this can we see ourselves as we really are and see him for who he really is and the grace that saved a wretch like me. My Lord justly judges me and then stands beside me, the criminal in his court. And even though I am guilty, in Christ I am set free to an eternity with him. But now coming back to Psalm 82, Asaph is appealing to God the judge. He wants God to bring judgment down and justice down on this earth. And I, I, don't, I have struck me because I don't think I have ever prayed for that. I realized this week, though, that for most of the world and most of history, the idea of God being judge is not seen as a negative but a great positive. For the judge is the hero of the story. When you are being oppressed and life has not been fair, when evil is winning all around you and the little guy cannot get justice, the judge who has the power to right the wrong in the land is the hero. You pray to him to bring justice down from heaven. For much of the world has lived in places and times of great injustice in the world. Oppression by powerful and evil leaders and rulers who hold them under their thumb. Who show partiality to the rich and show it, take advantage of the poor. Or ignore the rights of the elderly or the sick or the slave. In most times and places, there is no justice here. This is what Asaph is praying for in Psalm 82. He says, God is presiding over the great assembly, the great high court, and he gives justice among the gods. And in this context, the gods are not gods like we think of divine. The word for gods here is the gods of the land, the people in power. That is what the word means, the people in power today. The kings, the lawyers, the judges, the stockholders of the land, this is who he means. You who are in charge of the people, God is saying, you better act justly, do what is right, or you too will be judged by the one who is over you. There is a judge watching you carry out your justice. You may be getting away with it now, but you won't get away with it later. He sees. This psalm, you see, is for the little guy, for the weak, the oppressed of this world. God says to the judges and lawyers and the kings in verse 2, how long are you going to defend the unjust and show favoritism to the wicked? Defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy and deliver them from the hand of the wicked. God cares about justice. He goes on to say, they don't know or understand anything. They need you to defend them. They don't know the rules or how they're getting walked over. That's why you're needed. 
to defend their rights. They don't understand the broken system. They're getting beaten up by the red tape and lost in the process. And the powers that be and the darkness is overtaking them and shaking this earth. He says in verse 5, so do your job. God then says in verse 6, I have put you in power, but I will bring you down if you don't do your job. You will fall like every other ruler before you if you don't practice justice. God is saying in this psalm, you answer to me. You judges will be held accountable for your judgments. If you don't do what is right for the poor, the oppressed, the weak, the orphan, if you're taking bribes and getting rich off of injustice, if you fill your pockets with money and look the other way, if you're showing favorites or prejudices, then the great judge will judge you and he is coming for you. This is a psalm for the little guy, a psalm of justice. This psalm is similar to many of the Old Testament prophets who spoke about justice. Amos was one of them that I liked the most. He was a farmer. God spoke to him about the sins of his own people and how they were treating the foreigners and others. In Amos 5.11, he says, you trample on the poor. You force them to give you grain. You build stone mansions and plant vineyards for yourself off of their labor. You oppress the righteous and take bribes. You don't pay them a fair wage to feed their family. You deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Amos says, seek good and not evil so that you might live. Hate evil and love good. Maintain justice in the courts, and perhaps the Lord will show you mercy. I love Amos. Just like Asaph, he's man speaking for justice. Amos goes on to say, he speaks about their religious festivals and how hypocritical they were and how they act religious and, and walk around righteous, but they're doing these evil things in their daily lives. God says in Amos 5, 23, 24, Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps anymore. Let justice roll down like a mighty water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. In other words, God is saying, don't worship me with your songs if you aren't going to worship me by living justly and treating people right. God is for justice. He wants us to be for justice everywhere for everyone in the world. Micah 6, 8 says, I have shown you what is good and what I require of you to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. James 1, 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I think we live in a time in history when the young people of today are very interested in justice. And what that word means to one may be different for another, but this may be our connection to this generation, the open door the church has to connect with a generation leaving the church. They want to see us stand up for people who are being treated poorly. They want to know that we care more about just ourselves. We need to show them that the Lord and God cares about justice. He cares both about the eternal destiny of people, but also what is going on in a person's life today, and that we wouldn't look away. We may not always agree on every issue, and we may not, un you know, our understanding of justice, you know, must be based on God's law and God's word, or it's going to be tainted. But out of the mercy that he has shown us, we must turn around and live for we know that every person on this planet was created by God and made in his image. No matter race, status, sin, or creed, there is a value that God has put on every human life simply because God made them and loves them and Jesus died for them. And they are our neighbor. 
whether they are rich or poor, American or not, Christian or not, whether they're from our neighborhood or have had struggles, every human life means something to God and therefore should mean something to us. And if we're spending our time in his word and in prayer and in listening for his voice, he will show us what to do. And we might be able to be an advocate or a help for somebody else for what is right. There was a time when Carrie and I were uh, treated unfairly by a person in power, a local sheriff in Chillicothe, Ohio. We walked into the courthouse the week before our wedding to get our license to get married. This was 22 years ago. And we were young and excited, and we, we walked in, and we have all our documents. We lived in Chicago but wanted to get married in Carrie's hometown where all her family lived, and everything had been set and planned for months. Well, we walk into the courthouse and are immediately met by the sheriff who stands in our way. And he seems to have a chip on his shoulder already that morning, and, and we're smiling and happy, and he is not. And, and he's, you know, he sternly says to us, stop. What are you here for? And we tell him we're getting married Saturday, and we came in for our license. He doesn't smile. He just says, do you live in Chillicothe? And we say, no, we currently live in Chicago. But before we can get anything else out, he cuts us off, looks away, and says, go to Chicago to get married next. And he meant it. He wasn't kidding. He didn't bother to hear our story, didn't care about our situation. He was the law. And in that moment, he stood in our way from getting married. But we had done our homework. We knew we could get married out of state as long as we had this document. We had called ahead. We tried to tell him. He wouldn't listen. He just kept blocking our way. And I was getting upset. And Carrie was practically in tears. Thankfully, one of the people who issued the licenses overheard our discussion in the hallway and immediately ran out and told the guy to let us through that we were okay. And he didn't like it. He never smiled, but she walked us around him to her office, and she said, sorry, do you have the paperwork? And we gave it to her, and it was all legal. We got our license, and as we walked out, I shouldn't have, but I nicely showed it to the sheriff, <laughs> and he did not smile. But, you know, this is so minor, I realize, to the injustices all around the world that people have to deal with today, but this was a big deal for us. And I thank God that there was some other person who came to our defense. And I share this example simply because I believe we Christians are called to be that other person for the people we see and hear around us who are being treated unfairly. Are we paying attention in our world and our life today? What do we see that isn't right? Where are the powers that are standing in the way of others from receiving justice? Who are the weak and the fatherless? Who are the poor and the oppressed? And it may be because of ignorance or hatred or racism or just laws that don't make sense or don't work or just somebody having a bad day and being a jerk to another. That could be me at times. It may be about power. It may be about money. It may be about fear. But as Christians, followers of Jesus, believers in God, led by the scripture, we're to pray for God's justice on earth and we're to care about it, the current realities that people live with. Psalm 82 is a reminder that God is a judge over the judges and it is a prayer to rise up God and bring justice down upon this earth, all that is right. So a few things here that we learn about God's justice from this psalm. One, God's justice shows no favorites. It treats everyone the same. 
Verse 2 says, how long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? At times, the church has gotten in trouble for this. Defending the priest who abused a child instead of defending the child. Trying to save the organization or the business instead of the one who's been hurt. What God is saying here is that the people in power who were supposed to govern and judge and treat people fairly were not. They were defending the wicked while they should have been pleading the case of the poor. There was one kind of justice for the rich or their friends or their people, another kind of justice for the Samaritan, the leper, or the poor person who could give them nothing in return. Justice is supposed to be blind. We're to be the same with everyone. This makes me think about how power and greed can corrupt and influence our justice system and how big donors and politics or cultural approval or lobbyists who are our friends can influence the decisions of our politicians and leaders today and how one person can get a deal because they know somebody and how big money often means big lawyers that can work around a system even though they know their clients are guilty. God is saying in this psalm, how long are you going to defend the unjust and show favoritism to the wicked? Do what is right, not what is popular or what profits you. Treat everyone fairly. We all would do good to practice this in our own personal lives, and we should seek this in our society. One example I see of this inconsistency in Scripture is the woman caught in adultery. The religious leaders bring the accused woman to Jesus to stone her to death. But have you ever wondered where the man is? There were usually two people involved in adultery. He would have been guilty too, but he was a man, and probably a man of power and wealth, and just a man in that society was treated differently. And so they most likely let him off with a hand slap while bringing her in for a death sentence. This was the inconsistency that can happen even in our world today. But Jesus defended the cause of the weak, rescued the needy from the hand of the wicked. Where in our society, or even in our own life, are there prejudices and inconsistencies? Second thing we learn about God's justice from this psalm are the particular people we should watch out for, the most vulnerable ones. Verse 3, he says, defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless. This is the orphans and the widows. He goes on to say, maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. And in verse 4, rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. This psalm is terrific because it gives us three areas and groups of people to focus on. It says, defend the cause of, maintain the rights of, and rescue out of the weak, fatherless, poor, oppressed, and needy. We can pray those three categories and ask God to show us if there are people in our world that he wants us to care for. Who are those in need that need us to defend the cause of them today? Maybe it's the people lowest on the totem pole whose voice is not heard, but our voice is heard. Will we speak for them? Maybe it is someone sitting in a nursing home who has no one to say, hey, this isn't right. Who are those who need others to help them know their rights and to make sure those rights are preserved? And who are those who need rescuing from the hand of wicked? Maybe it is our military that steps up for a country that is being oppressed, or maybe it is a church who steps in to care for a woman or a child being abused. These are the categories and groups of people God says be especially mindful of. And you know, again, standing next to that mother who needed someone to speak for her and her kids and having that marriage license person come out and help us around a bad sheriff, these experiences stay with me. 
But there are bigger ones and, and other everyday ones that we just need to be aware of and open to how God might be using us to defend the cause of or maintain the rights of or to rescue out of those who are most vulnerable. God is a God of justice. He cares about it. You know, I think here at church, maybe our mission team could take some time to think about who in our world needs defending? Who in our world can the church stand up for to help in the areas of justice? Lastly, in this psalm, I see hope. I see hope in the first and last verse. For Asaph reminds us at the very beginning that God presides in the great assembly. In other words, the Lord is on the throne and he will judge the gods. All the powers in this world are going to have to answer to him. And then he says in the last verse, so rise up, O God, and judge the earth, for all the nations are your inheritance. This psalm begins and ends with God on the throne, and that is our hope. He will carry out justice. I used to be an idealist. I still am an optimist. But some days I'm even losing that. But even in my optimism, the older I get, the more I realize we are not going to write every right in this world or create the perfect world. Only the Lord in his return will do that. I must wait on the Lord for that. That is what the church in the Bible times was looking forward to and praying for, and that is what we still do today. In the meantime, though, we can do what we can. We're called to help those around us, the things that we're able to do, and he'll help us to do even if just for one person we can do something. But as a whole, we have to wait sometimes for justice as we wait for him. And we put our trust and our hope in God and his plan and his timing and in Christ's return. He will judge the nations. They are his. And a day is coming when evil will be no more. But not today. But it is coming. We can be assured our God will right every wrong. There is a day coming when the oppressor will no longer oppress and the wicked will no longer be able to harm the weak and the needy and the poor will no longer go hungry and the child will no longer be abandoned and the woman no longer abused and the Christian no longer persecuted for their faith and the refugee no longer denied entrance and the sick no longer denied care and when people will no longer have to live in fear but that is not today, unfortunately. But have faith, that day is coming. He has promised it. And so we do our part today where we can to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. And we gather together to pray and to pray for our leaders and to worship. And we defend the cause of those that we must. And we maintain the rights of those that we can. And we rescue from evil those that we are able, trying to be a light of Christ in this dark world wherever we find it, knowing today is as it is, but it will not always be. Because our God is on the throne and his justice is coming. Rise up, oh God. Have a wonderful Sunday. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. To stay up to date with all of Bethlehem Covenant Church's programs and events, head to bccwaverly.org.